Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well. Today is Friday of the fourth week of Lent. <clears throat> this Sunday, if you're in the Novus Ordo, will be, begin the fifth week of Lent, follow, followed by the, the following Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. If you keep track of the old calendar, this Sunday is Passion Sunday. It is the week that our Lord begins his, his trip to Jerusalem, going up to die for us. Um, it will be Passion Sunday and the following Sunday, Palm Sunday, when his own people um, shouted Hosanna in the highest, um, uh, believing that he was the Messiah who was to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And they spread palm branches and everything that they would do for the arrival of Messiah. They did. And a week later, they yelled, crucify him. And so did every one of us, because he died for our sins. And every time we willfully sin again, we're yelling, crucify him again. It's an awful thought, but it's true. So we're very close to Easter, beloved. And whatever has happened during this um, Lent, if you followed your Lenten um, intentions, that's great. Um, if you haven't followed them, don't worry about it. It's never too late. It was two weeks left. You can do it. Not a problem. Um, the only, it's not a failure to fall. Um, it, the only failure is not getting up again. So if you've um, fallen 10 times, just get up again. And then you'll fall 12 times. I think of uh, Einstein, who, who uh, failed 5,000 times in inventing, inventing the light bulb. Um, rather, uh, Edison. Einstein. Edison, I guess. Um, and he said, now I, I know 5,000 ways not to do it. So never give up. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Don't be depressed. Don't worry about it. Just try again. Think if you have a little child and he or she continues to fall and stumble, what if he gives up one day and just doesn't try to walk anymore? You would be very uh, alarmed at that. So no, our, our, we're children of God and he is rooting us on to walk, to stand, to stand firm and to not give up. These two weeks are very important. Our Lord was never so near the cross as he is during these two weeks. And no matter what we've done, go to confession and start again. Every single day, start again. Every single day. God doesn't give up on us. Um, so there was something else I did want to say to you, and I don't remember what it is at the moment. Um, we are right in the middle of uh, the book, rather still a little bit at the end on chapter 6 of the book, This is the Faith. Um, a 
maybe I was going to say because it's Friday, stay away from meat. Uh, no meat on Fridays of Lent. Um, uh, I can't think of anything else to tell you. Um, so, okay. Um, uh, we've gotten a number of, of uh, contacts, a number of uh, people that have contacted us um, concerning um, uh, the potential sale of our home. Nobody yet is is uh, has offered to uh, come to Beloit or look at it to buy it yet. Um, so we do have that home available through realestateforlife.org. Um, if you're if you're looking to cut, move to Beloit and have a beautiful newly reconstructed reconstructed two story six thousand square foot home, it's really a ranch home with a basement or lower level. But we've turned that basement with full size egress windows into twelve bedrooms, which can be easily made into six larger bedrooms. So um, and plenty of plumbing and electric, all brand new. Um, so let us know. Go, either call realestateforlife.org or uh, contact us uh, on our website, motherofisraelshope.org, and we would be happy to give you any information at all about the house. We are at the chapter on faith in um, uh, Canon Francis Ripley's uh, This is the Faith, and there's six points that he go, no, there's more than that. This is chapter six. The definition he gives of faith, where we left off yesterday, the full definition faith is a supernatural gift of God by which one chooses reasonably to believe most firmly all that God has revealed, because God must know the truth and is incapable of telling a lie. And so Canon Ripley has broken that down. Uh, into segments. First, that faith is a supernatural gift. Secondly, that it's of God. Thirdly, by which one chooses. Fourthly, reasonably. And we covered all that up to yesterday. And then fifthly, to believe. Not to think or suppose or even agree to because the truth is fully understood and demonstrated. But to assent fully to a truth on the word of another, namely God. The telescope is sometimes used as an example of the function of faith, as in the natural order. A powerful telescope will enable us to see heavenly bodies, otherwise invisible to the human eye. So faith is an additional power of spiritual sight, or rather insight, it brings an interior conviction about the reality and a new appreciation of the significance of spiritual truths. One who believes finds that these truths impress him ever more deeply. Faith is not, as Luther said, mere trust in the fidelity of God to keep his promises. No. St. Paul described faith as evidence and he speaks of faith as bringing into captivity every understanding unto the obedience of Christ. Faith without obedience is not Christ, is not faith. Rather, faith obeys. <clears throat> and then sixth, um, to believe, um, 
Okay, faith is a supernatural gift of God by which one chooses reasonably to believe and to believe most firmly. It is to be expected that many of the things which God reveals are beyond reason. Nature is full of mysteries. The seed, for instance, falling to the ground and in a few years growing into a great tree. And it is certainly as reasonable to expect mysteries in religion as it is to expect them in nature or physical science. Indeed, if religion had no mysteries and were perfectly and and fully comprehensible, its divine origin would be open to suspicion. Hmm? How could we understand everything? We're the creature. What can be fully proved from reason might well have been discovered by reason. Belief in mysteries tends vastly to increase our reverence for God. When a child is afraid to go out in the dark, its father says, Give me your hand and come with me. The child is satisfied. It does not ask for a scientific explanation of the darkness, and so we ought not to wish to understand the in, impenetrable, easy for you to say, impenetrable mysteries of God. He is love. God is wisdom and goodness. We put our hand in his, knowing he cannot lead us astray. And then, to believe most firmly, number seven, all that God has revealed. Not some things, all things. It is the fashion nowadays outside the Catholic Church to pick and choose one's beliefs. Well, Canon Ripley wrote this some years ago. Um, I think it's the belief nowadays even inside the Catholic Church to pick and choose what one believes. If you do, you're not Catholic. If you pick and choose, you're not Catholic. And you set yourself above God. Canon Ripley says, All of God's revelation must be accepted, all of it. Any other course is unreasonable. The Catholic Church never panders to the fashion of the moment in the beliefs she demands of her children. She stands always by what reason proves to be divine revelation. And from it, she will never deviate by one hair's breath. Beloved, if you say, I believe everything except this thing, then you don't believe at all. Because if you believe that the church is what was established by our Lord, who cannot err, he is truth himself, he is perfection. And if you say, I believe the Catholic Church is God's church, but I don't believe that one thing, then you don't believe anything because your trust is in your own finite, fallen reason, not in God. If your trust is in God, then you say, well, of course I believe it all. I don't understand it all, but I believe it all coming from God. That's reasonable. Very few of us understand it all, um, if any, but we believe it's of God. So in humility we say, I don't understand that, but I believe it because God says it. There's the music, dear ones, for our first break. And you are able to call in, and you're welcome to call in this entire hour, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at 
thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Many Christians are familiar with the story where the Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus and try to test him for charges against the law of Moses. Jesus had been showing all sorts of mercy that was unusual to them, eating with sinners and tax collectors, driving demons out of Gentiles, and even curing people on the Sabbath. They thought they could trap him, but Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground. We can assume he was writing out their sins. He then said, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And in response, they went away one by one. Jesus then said, Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. But Jesus continues, Go and sin no more. It's fine for us to meet people where they are at with mercy, but we can't just leave them there. We must help them come to a place free of sin in their lives. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. Weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time. Weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We look forward to joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Praise be to Jesus. May God love you. Love really indicates where our values are, where our priorities are, and it shows our true love of God. You mentioned the thermometer of love, Father. In entry 343 of the diary, it begins, True love is measured by the thermometer of suffering. Tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8. Jesu ufam tobie. Jesus, I trust in you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And um, we are live and you have, um, we have almost uh, 45 minutes for you to call in with anything at all on your heart, dear ones. The number is toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We are speaking of the definition of faith given by uh, Canon Francis Ripley in the book, This is the Faith, And we're on point eight now, and the whole definition, he says, faith is a supernatural gift of God by which one chooses reasonably to believe most firmly all that God has revealed. And now the final point, because God knows, I'm sorry, because God knows the truth and is incapable of telling a lie because God knows the truth and could not tell a lie. He is all truth, and so we must believe all he has chosen to reveal. Thus, a Catholic's faith should be entire, that is, it must embrace every article of faith without exception. Again, dear ones, we don't 
have to know every article of faith. The more we study our faith, the more we know it, the more we can live it. We cannot live a faith we do not know. But it must embrace every single article of faith without exception. And again, if you say, I don't understand that, I believe everything except this one thing, then you believe nothing because you're um, using yourself as the arbiter of truth. You believe what you can understand or what you agree with. That's not faith. Faith is, is faith, belief in the God who gave us, who is truth. And so in humility, we say, I believe, Lord. Or as the penitent said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, um, but I don't always understand. <clears throat> it must be, faith must be entire. It must be firm. This is not accepted as one would accept a mere opinion, but as one believing in absolute certainty without hesitation. If you say, well, I believe that, but I'm not sure about it. If you mean you don't understand it, then say that. But if your faith is not firm, then you don't believe. And then you're on your own without the church or without God. It's 100% or nothing. Faith must be steadfast. That is, faith is accepted in spite of all difficulties and opposition and at the cost of any sacrifice. Faith must be living. Faith is active and effectual. It's the basis of life. And it is supernatural. Faith has gone as its source, its end, and faith has God as its source, its end, and its motive. So let me repeat that now. Thus, a Catholic's faith should be entire, firm, steadfast, living, and supernatural. And he speaks about those who have converted to the faith. And he says, in order to dispose himself, hold on just a moment now. Okay, in order to dispose himself for the reception of the gift of faith, we're coming up to Easter where a number of people will enter the church and many others will be confirmed who have already been in the church and been baptized. Um, <clears throat> the convert's first act of faith in order to dispose himself for the reception of the gift of faith, the convert should strive especially after the following. So, dear ones, if you're on your way to enter the church this Easter, this is for you. You should strive especially for, number one, prayerfulness. And our Lord says, but if any of you want wisdom, let him ask of God. <clears throat> who giveth to all men abundantly, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. James 1.5 Prayer is necessary in order to obtain the gift of faith. It's a gift, but we need to obtain it by faith. Faith is not necessary for prayer. The latter is the act of a rational being. Faith is not necessary for prayer. The latter, prayer, is the act of a rational being who knows by pure reason that he is a creature of a supreme being on whom he is entirely dependent, particularly during the period of instruction. The convert must pray for the gift of faith. So he must be prayerful. Secondly, he must have humility. 
James says that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The convert will try to understand his own infirmity, his incapacity to discover all religious truth by unaided reason, the weakness of his will and his tendency to do evil. He'll try to understand all that. The humble man seeks God. The proud man expects God to seek him, to allow him to add judge of God's revelation according to his own arrogance. The humble man is conscious, conscious of the great privilege he is receiving in being instructed in the true faith with a view to reception into the church. The proud man thinks he is conferring a favor on the church by entering the fold. If any of you, or you know people in your family or friends who think that they're doing God a favor or the church a favor, or the church is getting somebody great, um, you shouldn't be entering the church because unless you um, understand your creatureness um, before a holy God, um, you won't be Catholic. You won't be Catholic. You'll be in the church and you'll be doing your own thing by your own judgment. Thirdly, um, the convert must have earnestness and conscientiousness. He must use all diligence to ascertain the truth and be willing to accept it in spite of former notions, prejudices, and the habits of a lifetime. And in spite of the additional, sometimes even irksome, duties it will entail. I think if anyone truly has faith and will receive the gift of faith, um, I cannot imagine anything being irksome. I just can't. Fourthly, he must have cleanness of heart. A special effort should be made during the period of instructions to lead a good life and check indulgence of the passions. For unchristian conduct is one of the great obstacles to Christian belief. If you've had ungodly patterns or sinful patterns or slothful patterns or whatever it is, and you're coming into the church this Easter or any time, now is the time to shed all those things to lead a good life, to check indulgence, to check your passions, to have mastery, to have cleanness of, your, of heart. Will you have it perfectly? No. But to strive for that. And then you must have sorrow for sin. One of the greatest obstacles in the way of receiving the gift of faith from God is dishonesty with oneself, deceiving one's conscience into denying that one has ever done evil. I, I know that seems impossible to me, but we had a sister here a few years ago who did not believe she was a sinner and that she's ever done evil. I was shocked. Of course, we invited her to leave after a time, but I've never met anyone like that before. I didn't put Christ on the cross, she said. I'm a good person. I just couldn't imagine that. Deceiving one's conscience into denying that one has ever done evil. It is important 
that one who aspires to become a Catholic be trained early in the practice of the ready acknowledgement of his guilt before God and the expression of his sorrow. John writes, For everyone that doth evil hateth the light, and cometh not to the light, that his works may not be reproved. God threatens, Woe to you that call evil good and good evil, that is, to those who deny that sin is sin. There are people who do wrong. They know it is wrong, and yet lull themselves into the comfortable feeling that it is not wrong, and that they are really virtuous. There are people like that, beloved. How do they do that? Maybe they compare themselves with worse sinners, so they think they're okay, but they're not. God will be repelled by such an attitude of mind. Christ said that he came to call sinners to repentance. All are not expected to be saints when they come to religion, but all are expected to admit, at least before God, that they have known the touch of evil and need God's forgiveness. I, some time ago, I told the story of, in my Protestant years, when I was a jail chaplain, and I had arrived at a jail facility in Lancaster, California, the northern part of Los Angeles County, and it was a women's facility, women's and men's on two different sides separated, and I was going to be there just uh, temporarily filling in for the Christian, I wasn't Catholic then, Christian chaplain who had come down with cancer. And so I didn't know anyone, but at lunchtime, <clears throat> all the officers and, um, uh, what do you call yourself, regular people, um, uh, had lunch in, their, in a separate cafeteria. And I was eating by myself, and I took my Bible to read while I was eating, because I was never without my Bible as an as a evangelical Christian. And I was sitting at a table by myself eating, and uh, an elderly sergeant, tall and thin and really worn, at, at late 70s, I'm guessing, and he looked at me. I was sitting and eating, and he was standing, and he looked down at the table at me, and he said, you're the new chaplain in town. I said, yes. <clears throat> he said, do you mind if I join you? I said, no. And I, he had finished lunch, so he said, keep eating. I, I've already eaten. He said, you people, he looked at me, he said, you people, you take the scum of the earth. Now, he was, um, actually, he worked on the women's side. He had worked on the men's side of the facility, but he saw what men can do uh, when they riot and all the things they do, and so he decided to work on the women's side. In my mind, the women's side was much more dangerous than the men's side, because instead of strength, they used razors and other things. It was just terrible. Um, and so um, he said, you chaplains, you take the scum of the earth. He's referring to the inmates, the scum of the earth. And you, here's my Bible. He said, you take this book of yours. He picked it up. He said, you take this book of yours. And all they have to do is read page 12 and they're saved. And he, he, he spewed venom. It was, it was just awful. Well, 
I'll have to hold you in suspense uh, as we continue the story when we come back. And let me remind you again, you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart, toll free, one 877 511 or email at mother at We'll be right back. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a widower parent of three almost adults and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started. And I was so excited, I tuned into it and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Help bring many more people closer to our Lord by letting them know about Catholic Radio. One of the simplest ways to promote Catholic Radio is by displaying a bumper magnet on your car. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have a whole half hour together and again you're welcome to call in not just during this uh, second half hour but from now on during the entire hour and again the toll free number and whatever's on your heart it does not have to be um, our subject the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart toll free one 877 5483 or email at mother at the station of the let me just continue. I was right in the middle of a story. Um, we were speaking about faith, and um, let me just say there are people uh, um, on what is faith and all of that, and I, I was telling a story when I was a Protestant jail chaplain, a jail chaplain for 10 years in my Protestant years, and one day I was going out of the a cafeteria with a, an elderly sergeant, and he saw me, and he said, you, you, the new chaplain in town? I said, yes. 
and he 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 joined me. He sat down. He uh, I I ate while he spoke, and he said, "You chaplains," and he picked up my Bible that I had. He said, "You take this book of yours, and." You tell anybody to open up to page 12, and all they have to do is believe what's on page 12, and they're saved. And I said before the break, he just spewed venom. He was absolutely disgusted, and he continued to rant. And I just finished my lunch, got up, and I hadn't even said a word. And we're walking to the, the compound, the women's compound, together. And after a, an, a period of silence, <clears throat> I said to him, by the way, uh, Sergeant, have you ever read page 12? <laughs> and he looked at me as if I were a Martian. And he said, no, I've never read page 12. And I said, do you know what page 12 says? Now, I don't know what page 12 says either, but this is the conversation. He said, no, I don't know what it says. I said, may I tell you what it says? And he said, tell me what it says. And the translation of that is, get this woman off my back. And I said to him, page 12 says that there's a savior who came for sinners. And he said, what about us? What about us good guys? What about us? And I said, I'm sorry, but he didn't come for you. Jesus said, I came um, uh, not for the righteous, but to bring sinners to repentance. And a smile came across his face. He understood. And that sergeant and I became best friends. Um, but that's who Jesus came for. And if you say you have no sin, you're not a sinner, then you don't need a Savior. And if you don't need a Savior, you will not be saved. You do need to save. You do need a Savior. If you don't have a Savior, you will spend eternity in hell. You do need a Savior, beloved. And if you say, well, I don't sin, that's because you're dead. The scriptures say that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin. If you think of a dead corpse... Um, you stick a pin in, in him, there's no response. Death is an inability to respond to life. Stick a spiritual pin in you, and the scriptures say the things of God are foolishness to the natural man because they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually understood. So if you think you haven't sinned, it's because you're dead. It's because you're dead. If you humble yourself and beg God for the gift of faith, and you come to faith, you will know what a sinner you are, and you will know how merciful God is to come for such as you and me. Faith, Canon Ripley goes on to say, is the gift of God and of God alone, yet God expects us to do our part. He who made you, St. Augustine says, he who made you without you will not save you without you. It's a free gift, but a gift has to be received, or it can be rejected. The convert will do well to note that conviction is not necessarily faith. This is very important. Conviction is not necessarily faith. For instance, he might make an act of conviction such as God must be worshipped. He has revealed to us how he wishes to be worshipped. Therefore, we must worship him in that way and in no other. But that way is the way of Jesus Christ. God made man, and the way of Jesus Christ includes the Catholic Church. Therefore, Catholicism is the authentic, divinely revealed way of worshiping God. But such conviction, reached under God's grace, 
is not necessarily in itself an act of faith. It is one thing to recognize a duty. It is another to fulfill it. The act of faith, as the church teaches, cannot be made without a further and a higher grace, without a very special help from God. And God will not deny that help, he will not deny that help to one of good disposition. A person with the disposition to find the truth and live by it will then find himself receiving the grace of a gentle submissiveness, moving him to honor God by freely, piously, and reverently submitting his mind to God's work, God's word. This grace enables him to give effect to his conviction and to say, I do believe that God has given me the church to be my teacher. I do believe it on the word of the good God himself who can neither deceive or be deceived. And that is a true act of faith. I want to remind you um, that you're welcome. We have an email here I'm going to take. I want to remind you that you're welcome to call in, dear ones, at any time, even while I'm uh, reading through this. Um, Toll-free 1-877-511-5483. You can text at that number or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, We have an email from Anne, and Anne says, God bless you, Mother. You were talking about, um, uh, on Wednesday, March 16th, you were talking about the curse from Adam and Eve. I now understand more why we women try to control our husbands. Can you help us understand what we can do when we realize we've done this and our husbands are gone or passed away outside of confessing this. Thank you, Mother. You and your sisters are in my prayers. Thank you so much, sweetheart. I'm going to um, bring up here um, the passage in Genesis where I spoke about that. Um, it's the fall, um, and it's it's where God has put um, enmity between Uh, Satan and the woman. Let me just put that in. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, down around to verse 15. After the fall, um, uh, when Adam and Eve were accused of eating from the the tree they shouldn't have ate from, um, uh, the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. She's not taking responsibility. He tricked me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And God continues with his curse on the serpent that tempted Eve. He said, I will put enmity, that's strife, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head you shall bruise his heel. That's the prophecy of a redeemer to come who will crush Satan on the cross. To the woman, he said this, to Eve, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. 
in pain you shall bring forth children. This is the curse on her. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And when I read that years ago, I said, what kind of a curse is that? That the wife's desire should be for her husband? What, what's There's not a curse. That's quite beautiful. That's the way it should be. And then um, at the beginning, or rather uh, uh, the curse of Cain in Genesis 4, hold on just a moment now, I'm going back and forth here. Um, when Cain has killed um, his brother Abel and God has uh, cursed him, um, let me see now. Cain said, um, let me just see this. I'm so sorry. To, I wasn't prepared for this. Um, God said to Cain, Cain was complaining about his punishment. Can you imagine that? He killed his brother and God didn't kill Cain. He just banished him. He said, uh, Cain said, um, my punishment is greater than I can bear. God um, said to Cain, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood. The curse on Cain for killing his brother Abel. Um, so how did that, I'm, I'm going too fast. So, so from the fall and the curse on Adam and Eve and the serpent, but again, particularly the curse on Eve, where her, the words, her desire would be for her husband. How is that a curse? Well, then they have a child, Cain. They have another child, Abel. And Cain kills Abel. And um, a God has cursed Cain. Um, and he says to Cain, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day away from the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will slay me. Can you imagine the arrogance of that man? He just killed his brother, and he's complaining that God is making him a fugitive on the earth. And the Lord said to Cain, Not so. If anyone... Oh, dear. Okay. He said, um, If anyone slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. And so forth. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Um, oh, dear. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm looking for verse that says um, that sin will be crouching at the door for Cain and its desire is for him oh I'm sorry I'm messing this up I th was so sure it was Genesis chapter 4 um, let me see okay is that it Genesis 4 7 Oh, God bless you. Thank you for that. Genesis 4-7. James at the Station of the Cross looked it up and he's helping us. James 4-7. I mean, <laughs> Genesis 4-7. James 4-7. Yes. Um, and after, I don't know how I skipped this line, because um, I was reading it, Genesis 4, 
and Cain is complaining that his punishment is too too much. And God said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is couching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Its desire is for you. It's the exact same language as used in Genesis chapter 3 of the curse on the woman that her desire will be for her husband. Now, sin's desire is for Cain. Now, that's not good for Cain, but it wasn't good for Adam either that his wife's desire would be for him because it was a desire to control, not to love, not to submit, not to be a helpmate, but the desire to control. And that's why... um, um, women have ever since as part of the curse had a desire to control her husband and that's what Anne has written in about and I'm, I'm sorry it took me so long to get to Genesis 4 7 but um, uh, Anne wants to know if we can help uh, understand what we can do when we realize that we have controlled and our husbands now have passed away um, and uh, we have not yet confessed this so there's the music for our last break Uh, beloved call in with anything on your heart um, and we will take your calls your texts your emails when we return Uh, don't go away this is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute have you ever noticed that most modern philosophies are very dark and depressing As G.K. Chesterton says, most people in our world today have been forced to be happy about the little things, but sad about the big ones. But that's not the way we were meant to be. We were meant to be joyful. Sadness is only an interlude. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. The Christian is able to deny himself immediate pleasures because there's great joy and fulfillment inside him. The pagan must constantly seek after pleasure because there's great sadness and emptiness inside him. Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Let's share the secret. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and I am live, barely. (laughs) Um, And this is our last segment, and we've got 10 minutes or more, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, 1-877-511-5483, or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We are at Anne's email who um, said that when we were talking about the curse of Adam and Eve, she said, I now understand more why we women try to control our husbands. Again, the curse on Eve was that her desire would be for her husband. And we saw from uh, Genesis chapter 4 that sin's desire would be for Cain. And it's a desire to control, not to love, not to be submissive, not to be a helpmeet, but to control. And women's desire to control their husbands um, hold on just a moment. Women's desire to control their husbands is the result of the fall. It's, it's an unfortunate desire. Um, and men, you need to understand this so you could uh, live up to the knight in shining armor you should be. You need to be the head of the family and not let your wives control you. You need to lay down your life for them as Christ laid down his life for the church. And you're concerned how you can um, repair this once your husbands are passed away and you haven't, you said, outside of confessing this. Well, um, confession is always good, yes. Um, but how can you help us understand how, what we can do when we realize we've done this? Um, what more can we do? Well, again, if your husband is alive, which Anne's husband is not at this point, um, you can apologize to your husband or just simply change your behavior. You don't have to even apologize, just change your behavior. Because if you apologize and then you go back to controlling, uh, he's going to know that your apology was not sincere. Just change your behavior and begin to be the lovely wife and helpmeet that he married. And let your husband live his vocation and if he doesn't do what you think he should do keep quiet and uh, trust god submit to your husbands as to the lord as to the lord read ephesians chapter 5 so dear Anne, outside of confessing this um don't worry about it you confess it uh it's humility that says we are subject all of us to sin we are subject to the fall and um uh, if your husband, if his faith was good, um, he is on his way to heaven, maybe through purgatory. Don't miss a single day praying for him. And you can help other women to understand this. Help them to love their husbands. Help them to truly be helpmeets. A woman is not to be a partner of her husband. The husband is not a partner. The husband is to be the head of the family. And the, and the, the wife... Um, the woman is to be the heart of the family. They're not partners. They need to work within God's beautiful design of submission. The man submitting to Christ in fulfilling his role as priest of the home and the wife submitting to her husband as to Christ. And let the children see the beautiful design. Children learn love by what they see. Let them see respect. Let them see love. Um, and then they will learn that. If you argue with one another, that's what we'll learn. If you control your husband, then your young daughters will have little chance of having a happy marriage. Okay. Um, Let me just see. Um, 
this is an email from Kimberly, and Kimberly says, Hello, Mother Miriam. <clears throat> you are so wonderful, and I keep you in my prayers. God bless you. Thanks, Kimberly, very much. I am an art teacher, she writes, in a Catholic school. <clears throat> I wanted to pray before every art class a three-minute decade of the rosary. In my classroom, I incorporate our Catholic faith. Well, it's a Catholic school. You, you should. I incorporate our Catholic faith with art, especially sacred art. In fact, even if you're a history teacher, you should incorporate an English teacher, a science teacher. If it's a Catholic school, the Catholic faith should be incorporated in every single class. Kimberly says, I taught them that Fra Angelico would pray before every painting for divine inspiration. I wanted my students to follow his action of prayer. Imagine all the beautiful prayers going up to glorify God from innocent children being uh, taken away. That is the prayers going up to heaven. That is exactly what happened, as I was told. Oh, wait, no, it's a different meaning. Imagine all the beautiful prayers going up to glorify God from innocent children being taken away. That is exactly what happened. As I was told, I could not say a three-minute decade of the rosary before art class with my students. I was told that by the priest. <clears throat> he told me if I went to the bishop, I would be fired. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This man should not be a priest. I went to the bishop, and he told me I was right in what I was doing, but that he could not interfere with the school due to the way it is set up. So he has to leave it in the hands of the priest and principal. Well, I want to say shame on that bishop. I don't know how it's set up. Um even if it's independent. The fact is it's in his diocese and it's Catholic. And he is the shepherd of that diocese. And I, I would say um, shame on him for not doing something to help, whether or not he has authority. The school now is slowly posting posters that subtly promote LGBTQ. I brought it to the attention of the principal and she has not taken them down. I am still at the school, but they have taken away all my benefits and cut my hours in half. I have attained two other jobs on the side. I stay because I feel whatever seeds Christ can plant, using me as a tool in the midst of this ungodly school, may help a child, even if it's just one child, to be close to Christ and follow him. Well, that if you can handle that, it's a good reason to stay. It is not easy, but that is not a Catholic school. It is not easy being there, she writes. I eat in my classroom alone. I, along with two others, have refused the evil vaccine, and we are ostracized and bullied by other teachers. We receive horrible looks when we did not wear masks. But ironically, I feel peace. Good for you. Good for you, Kimberly. Stay at peace because you have the peace of Christ and you're doing what's right. She writes, I look at it as Christ offering me two things. One, when others are kind, it is Christ bringing me joy. When they are not and cause me to suffer, I still look at it as Christ offering me the suffering for sanctification. Good for you. 
perfect responses, Kimberly. That way I do not harbor ill feelings. That is what Blessed Louisa Picaretta said in her book of heaven. I would appreciate your thoughts on this situation. Well, my thoughts are, are yours, Kimberly. Exactly, exactly what you're doing is great. If you leave the school, you're not doing wrong. But the fact that you're staying and taking all that um, um, action against you and your faith um, for the sake of the children, I think is very, very good. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about anything else. Uh, don't let yourself be bullied. Just return every insult with a smile. Um, and be kind to your enemies and pray for them. And perhaps you will convert them in time. Kimberly has a second question, but Kimberly, dear one, we're going to have to take that tomorrow um, because there's the music for the end of the program. So God bless you. God bless you all. And my goodness, it's Friday. So don't eat meat. Uh, pray the Stations of the Cross. And have a blessed weekend. And we'll speak with you, God willing, on Monday. God bless you.